couple things I want to make you aware of about uh, uh, my my passion for Easter. Some of you are Christmas people. It's like, you know, after Halloween, you start thinking about your Christmas schedule and you're, you're, we're going to put the lights up on this day and, and I've already bought all my gifts and, and all, you know, you, you're the you're Christmas people. I'm an Easter person, okay? So from since January 2, probably, I've been thinking about Easter. I've been pretty geeked out about it. I'm pretty excited. It's my absolute favorite time of year, uh, not just because it's spring, but because of what we celebrate uh, on Easter Sunday. It is, it is the best. And so I want you to get caught up. It's time to get excited about Easter uh, around here. So it's going to be an awesome day. And uh, everybody has a part to play, okay? So you have a part to play. Um, your job is to invite people. Easter is the time of year when people who don't regularly, regularly, that's harder to say than it should be, uh, who don't normally attend church uh, are more likely to respond to an invitation to come to church. It, I, don't, I don't know why that is. It doesn't really matter. It just, it's absolutely true. People are, who don't regularly normally attend church, are more likely to respond to an invitation. So you get to invite somebody now for Easter who may, at any other time of year, maybe they've said no to you 10 times in the past, but for Easter, they, they just might say yes. And the reason why that's so exciting to us is we believe if, if people get here and, and they hear the gospel, that God has a chance to change their lives. So your job is to invite people, anybody you know, your friend, neighbor, coworker, family member, people you don't even like, bring them. Because uh, if, if they're not attending somewhere else, if they come, uh, come here, it's a good thing. Because then my part is, I promise you, if you invite and you bring somebody, I will preach the gospel. And I'm probably going to, I'm going to come out of my shoes on Easter. I'm telling you, it's, my, it's just the best. It's my favorite day. And so uh, they are going to hear the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins to set them free and give them hope of eternal life with God forever. They're going to hear that in the clearest way I can possibly say it. So you do your job. You invite. I'll do my job, preach the gospel, and then God, we're going to let him do his job, the thing that none of us can do. He's going to change lives. Absolutely. He is, he is going to change people's hearts and lives when they hear the gospel and they believe in the good news for the first time. And so, what's your part? Invite. Invite. I'm going to preach the gospel. God's going to change lives. Sound good? All right, so we've got some cards for you just to help you know uh, what's happening on Easter Sunday. You'll notice something a little different about these, but uh, if you need some reminders or some things you can pass out, there should be some of these at the end of your row. If for some reason there's not, there's a stack of these in the lobby, uh, and um, we'll help you find those. Um, if you're like a person who says, I don't do paper anymore, I'm not going to carry this around, take a picture of this. You'll have it on your phone. You can text it to somebody or post it on social media or whatever it is that you do. But, but your job is to invite. And specifically, you have another job because you're here at the 1030 service. We're offering a third service because we believe that uh, there, we're, gonna not, we're not going to have room. It, we expect there to be twice as many people on Easter as there are normally. So imagine twice as many people in this room right now as there are right now. It's not going to work, is it? So we create a third service uh, on, uh, at noon so our regular services will be the same. And I need you, 1030 people, to make a small sacrifice. If you would, come at either 9 or noon so we can make as much room as possible for people at the 1030. We believe that's going to be the prime time. And so are you willing to either uh, get up a little earlier and then say, hey, just tell the family, look, we're going to go to brunch afterwards. It's going to be awesome, but we're going early. Or you can come later and you can do brunch like beforehand and uh, make that a thing. I don't know if Easter brunch is a thing. I keep saying that like it is. I've never done that. But um, you could, you could come, uh, do your family thing like before and then come at noon or come earlier and then you've got the day or whatever, however you want to do it. 
But if you would make that small sacrifice, we're trying to make room for as many people as we possibly can on Easter. Okay, got it? So your job is invite and come at nine or noon. I'll preach the gospel. God will change lives. It'll be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Geek it out already, man. I know what, I know what songs we're going to see. I'm already like, yes. So anyway. Uh, so let's dive into the message for today. We're in this series called King Me, where it's kind of based on checkers. And so I've been playing a lot of checkers lately, mostly on my phone against the computer because no one else will play with me. But I found someone who would play with me last Sunday. So I had a pretty intense checkers match against someone I would consider to be almost a pro. Like, so this was an intense, it was, there was like sweat coming down out of my forehead. And, and there were times when each of us would take like a full like two minutes to think about our next move because... It really matters, and neither one of us wanted to lose. We're, we're both may have shouted at different points in the game. And, uh, and here's the good news, because I know you're worried. I did win. <laughs> I emerged victorious. And, uh, and the 12-year-old girl I beat was a champ about it. I mean, she was, uh, she held up really well uh, under that, Tessa Hartwick. Um, she's really good at checkers, okay? So give me a little credit, okay? Um, but the, the game changer was, toward, towards the end of the game, I had more kings than she did, right? That's, that's the game changer. Kings have more control. They have more flexibility. They can do, move around the board and do different things. And I had more kings. I had more control. And therefore, I won, which is really all I want in life. I just want to win at everything. Right, Ben? So, um, so I think that's what we all want. We all want a little more control. Most of us are convinced if I had more control over my circumstances, I would have more peace in my life. And that's what we want, more peace. We want to be able to lay our heads down at night knowing everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And most of us feel like I, if I had more control over my circumstances, I would have more peace in my life. We also believe if I had more influence over the people around me, like the best case scenario is that everyone around me thinks I'm awesome right? That's the best case scenario. Because then, they, you know, people are nice to me and I can kind of get what I want. And if I had more influence and control over the people around me, I would have more joy. Most of us think that the reason why we don't have joy on any given day is because of something someone else said or did, right? So if I just had more control and influence over people, I would have more joy. What we really want is peace and joy. And we're, we've become convinced that the way to get peace and joy is more control, more power, more influence. What if that system is broken? What if it doesn't work? What if that actually doesn't lead to peace and joy? Because here's the thing, you know people that have more money than you and don't have more peace than you, right? You know people who, more people think they're awesome than people who think you're awesome, but they don't have more joy than you. So we have evidence in our lives that this system actually doesn't work, it's broken, and yet we play the game anyway. How can I get more money? Because money gives me control. Right? How, can I, how can I influence the people around me? How can I trick them into thinking that I'm pretty awesome when I know better? We play this game anyway, even though we know it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's a broken system. Jesus comes along. Um, we're going to pick up from where Andy left off uh, last week. Jesus comes onto the scene and begins to tell us about a different system, a, a different approach to peace and joy, to, to getting where we really want to be. But before Jesus, actually, even this uh, guy named John comes along. We call him John the Baptist because he baptized people. I just call him Jay the B. We're pretty close. And uh, so John the Baptist comes along, and he begins to prepare the way for Jesus. That's his job, is to tell everyone, hey, Jesus is coming. 
he's going to be amazing. You're going to love him. And I, I need you to know what to expect. So John comes, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. This is a summary of John's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's John's message, okay? Now, John is talking to a group of people who feel like they're pretty close to God. They're Jews, after all, and they, they feel like that they, they've kind of got this kingdom of God thing figured out. Um, they, they think they know what it means, that the kingdom of God is near. But John says, repent. So, so now there are some questions. And so we need to understand, what did the people think John meant? Because Jesus is going to come along in the very next chapter, Matthew 4, 17, and say the exact same thing. So John did a good job preparing the way, right? Because Jesus comes along and says, Here's my message. It's the same as John's. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So what did, what did people hear when, when John and Jesus said this? And why is the word repent in there? Because they're pretty sure they knew, know what's going on. So I'm going to do some drawing um, and some writing. And I'm just going to go ahead and let you grammar police know you have the day off. Don't correct anything that I put up here, okay? So the, uh, the Israelites, the Jews, had this picture of the kingdom of God as something that was separate from and above the kingdom of the world. We are supposed to be separate from and above. God, God is holier, and so, so his kingdom is above. God is righteous. He's, he's, he's perfect. He does everything right. His kingdom is above the kingdom of the world, and it is separate from. And, and so how, how do you get into the kingdom of God? Well, first, you should try to be a Jew, Okay. If you're not, you know, you're just, you're just out of luck. It's like if you want to be an NBA player, you should try to be tall. And if you're not tall, then I'm sorry. If, if you're a Jew, you're in, right? You're, you're already in because the descendants of Abraham are in the kingdom of God and, and you're separate. How do you stay in? You follow the law. If you're a Jew and you follow the law, you got nothing to worry about. And the law is this system designed uh, to, to uh, show people, here are the rules just follow these rules and you'll be fine. So if you're a Jew and you follow the law, you're in. If you're not a Jew or you don't follow the law, you're out. And it's a very clear line. There's a strong separation. And John comes along and says, repent from this. Repent means to turn around. Repent means you're going the wrong direction. Repent means it's time to change your mind. And some of you are like, wait a minute, what's wrong, what's wrong with this? I thought this was the system. I thought this was the way. But John comes along and, and Jesus comes along and says, repent from this. There's a different way. There's a better way. So the people ask him, we don't understand. We don't understand what you mean. We've, we're pretty sure this is the way. Moses said this was the way. Abraham said this is the way. All the prophets said this is the way. What are you talking about? What are we supposed to repent from? And so John answers their question. Luke chapter three, John's teaching He's telling them, repent for the kingdom is near. It says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Okay, if it's not this, what is it? And maybe they're expecting John to say something like, you know, you should offer more sacrifices. Your sacrifices just aren't quite cutting it. They're not good enough. Or, or you should pray more earnestly. Your prayers are just not getting it there. You're not saying the right words at the right times. Maybe they think that's what John is gonna say. But in fact, here's what John says. Verse 11, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So, so what we're supposed to do is share. Is that right? Yeah. 
Well, John, John, we learned to share when we were three. Sharing is elementary. Sharing is basic. And John's like, it should be. But you need to learn, you need to, learn to share. You're so caught up in, in keeping these rules that you forgot how to share something that you should have known since you were a child. He goes on, the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? If it's not this, what is it? And John says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Tax collectors had a reputation for cheating people, taking more money than they really were supposed to and lining their own pockets. And he just said, quit, knock it off, knock it off. These are, these are your people, these are your countrymen. Stop stealing from them. Don't steal. That's pretty elementary, right? We, yeah, I learned that when I was four. Don't steal, right? Took some bubble gum from the grocery store. Got in big trouble. Don't steal. John's like, yeah, it should be pretty simple. It's time to go back to the basics. <clears throat> um, next verse, soldiers also asked him, and, what, and we, what shall we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So John says, there, there's a different system. You're so caught up in this system that's all about really you, like if I'm a Jew and I keep the law, I'm in, and, and, and no one can do anything about it, no one can take that away from me, and, and as long as I check the boxes, I'm good. And John says, repent from that, for the true kingdom of heaven is near. So what does that look like? It looks like this, two more circles, I'm not Da Vinci, okay, so. So in, in the kingdom that Jesus begins to teach about, and Jesus does a lot of teaching about the kingdom, he, he starts a lot of parables like this, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on to tell this parable and explain what the kingdom is like. And in his teaching, what you find out is that the kingdom of God is near because it's accessible. It, here, the kingdom of God is not accessible unless you're a Jew and you're following the law. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near and it's accessible to everyone and accessible through one specific way, through Jesus. Jesus is the connection point. And he says there is a way to live in the reality where you, you are in the world because you're kind of stuck here anyway. You know, you're, you're in the world, but you can also be in the kingdom of God where God gets what God wants, where everything that God wants to happen, happens. That's, that's this space right here, where everyone in this space is submitting to the rule and reign of God. And Jesus says, you're invited. You're invited into this kingdom. How do you get in? You get in through Jesus. I am the way, he says. I am the way. How do you stay in? What is the law that we're supposed to follow? It's different. And it looks like this. It's really simple. So over here, you have 613 laws that you have to follow to be in the kingdom that is separate from the world. And Jesus says, we're actually just going to make it one. We're going to take those 613 and we're going to make it one. And here it is. Love one another. This matches with what John said, right? The people come to John and say, what do you mean repent? What are we supposed to do? And he says, love one another. Share. Stop stealing. Stop taking advantage of people. Stop using your position and power for your own benefit. Just love the people around you. That's the law of the kingdom. 
And it was so hard for the people to get this. They were pretty sure that the kingdom of God is near means God is coming back. Jesus is going to now take over. The Messiah is going to conquer Rome because Rome, Rome has tried to invade the kingdom of God. Rome thinks that they're above. Rome thinks that they're in charge. And God is going to come set everybody straight and say, nope, I'm in charge. Israel's my people. We're going to be separate from you. We're over you. We're better than you. That's what they thought was going to happen. And John's, Jesus are like, nope. Actually, everyone's invited. The kingdom of God is so near. And you're invited, and you can get here. So Paul comes along. Uh, we're going to uh, skip ahead a few decades. Paul was uh, someone who grew up in this system, wh- where if, if I'm a Jew and I keep the law, I'm good. Paul grew up in this system, and he comes to meet Jesus, and he finds out that Jesus' kingdom is different. In fact, Jesus' kingdom is, is for me, it's for me because there's something good here for me, but it's not actually about me. It's for me, but it's not about me. Last weekend, my team lost in the Sweet 16. I don't really want to talk about it, uh, but here we are, North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, we're not supposed to lose in the Sweet 16. We're supposed to win in the Sweet 16. That's, that's what we do, uh, but we didn't. And I took it very personally because when I talk about my team, I say we won or we lost. I'm not on the team. I, I don't coach. I, I, don't, I don't wear the jersey. But I, I say we instead of they because it's my team. And, and when they lose, I take it very personally because I think they should always win because that's what true fans do. You Cubs fans and Purdue fans who walk around all the time going, oh, we're terrible. We're probably going to lose tonight. And I, I mean, why wear a Cubs shirt? Just wear a shirt that says I'm sad a lot and we'll know. Yeah, like, we'll just know. You're sad. You're a, okay, you're a Cubs fan. Okay, you're a Purdue fan. I'm a, I'm a Carolina fan. I believe my team is going to win every game. And when they don't, I take it really personally. And maybe sometimes I shout at the TV. And my sister and I text. And as we text through the game, and if we're losing, the texts get bigger, and, the ca- and it's caps lock, you know, and it's... So I, that's, that's, I think, what we do. We, we make things about us. My fanhood is about me. And, and, and also my work is about me, my workplace and the people I work with. It's about me and me getting what I want. And my family is about me. And everybody needs to do things my way and, and, and on my timing and my schedule. And, and my community becomes about me then. And, and if things are happening in my community I don't like, and, and then, then maybe I'll go find another community. And, and before long, then my church is about me. And if, and if they're singing songs I don't like and they're playing with instruments I don't like and they paint the walls a color I don't like, then, then I'm out because this is, this is about me. But Jesus' kingdom and John the, John, the kingdom that John preaches about is a kingdom that is for you, but it is not about you. And here's how Paul says that. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is talking to a group of Christians uh, in Rome uh, who there are both Jewish and Gentile Christians reading this letter, a part of this church. And here's what Paul says to them. In Romans 14, uh, 17, he says, for the kingdom of God, Paul knows about the kingdom. He learned it from Jesus. He was mentored by the apostles. He knows about the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace and joy. I I want peace and joy. That's kind of of what I'm after. That's that's why I'm chasing control and influence and powers because I think it's going to give me peace and joy. And Paul is saying the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy. It is for you. But he says something strange at the beginning of this sentence that we need to talk about, that it's not a matter of eating and drinking. Why would he say that? 
Because I've been in church a long time, and I'm pretty sure it is a matter of eating and drinking. I mean, we do a lot of that, don't we? We're kind of professional eaters together, right? It's not a matter of eating and drinking. Why does he say this? Because the Jews and Gentiles in Rome were raised very differently. The Jews were raised under this system, and part of these 613 laws had to do with what you eat. What you eat was really, really important to them. And they were taught... (laughs) That any, anything that has been sacrificed to an idol, you can't eat that. It's actually sinful. You shouldn't touch it. You shouldn't eat it. And so there are a lot of people in Rome who are saying, I, I, can't, I can't eat meat at all because I don't know if it's been sacrificed to an idol or not, so I'm just going to be a vegetarian. That's, that's the only way I can have a clear conscience. And there are Gentile Christians in the church who are saying, I, I wasn't raised that way. I, it doesn't seem like there's a problem. They're, these are not real God. They're, they're fake. They're pretend God. So a, a pretend sacrifice to a pretend God doesn't seem like it has any effect on me. And I really like bacon. So I'm just going to go ahead and eat. And, and they were actually using this as a way to measure each other spiritually. They were saying, well, well I, I'm actually holier than you because I've decided not to eat anything rather than eat something that might cause me to sin. And the other people on the other side are going, well, I'm, I'm actually holier than you because um, I, I'm free to eat whatever I want. I'm pretty sure that, that God's okay with that. And so they were using this as a way to kind of measure each other spiritually. And Paul says, guess what? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not, it's not about just having a clear conscience before God. So let's, let's back up and see what, what else he says. We're going to read this whole section of... Uh, John 14, 15 through 19. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. If you're sitting down at a table with somebody and, and, and their conscience is not clear about what you are eating, you are no longer walking in love. That's where we kind of want to say, it's none of their business what I'm eating. I can eat whatever I want. My conscience is clear with God. And Paul says... You're not walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. The people that you're saying, I'm better than you because I'm free and I can eat what I want, or I'm better than you because I'm holy and I don't eat stuff, those are people that Jesus died for. Knock it off. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It doesn't matter what you eat and drink but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, how are they serving Christ? By praying a lot, offering sacrifices? No, they're serving Christ by acknowledging each other and saying what, what you desire, what you prefer, what you, what, what's on your conscience matters to me. That's serving Jesus. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. We're going to pursue what makes for peace. Now, we don't have this issue in, in our culture today about eating meat or not eating meat. I know some people choose not to, but we don't make a big deal out of it. You know, I don't really see people going around saying, you're such a terrible person because you eat this. And, but we do have issues, I think, that we have turned into a, a kind of a spiritual superiority thing. Some of you support the Republican Party. Some of you support the Democratic Party. And, 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 and some of you have made a pretty big deal about that and, and are pretty sure that everybody who disagrees with you is wrong and, and you're probably actually closer to God because your conscience is clear about the issues that you support and the things you stand for. So, some, some people sing old songs and some sing new songs. 
Some, some people watch TV, and some don't. And sometimes the people who do are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a clear conscience. I'm free. I can, I, can, I can watch what I want and not sin. And other people are saying, we're actually, we're actually pure because we don't let that junk into our house. We turn it into a spiritual battle. Some people like drums. Some don't. Some people drink a little, smoke a little, fish on the weekends. Some do not. And all we're thinking about is, is our conscience clear before God? And Paul comes along and says this message that Jesus has been preaching since he came onto the scene, you're looking at this the wrong way. You need to repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's near. It's not this separate, far away, holier than thou above you thing. It's near, and it's accessible and available to everyone through Jesus. And the law of the kingdom is that how you treat one another is what matters most. Let's back up into chapter 13. Let's get a, a little bit more of a running start at this whole thing. Chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. That means I get to look at you and say, You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me kindness. You don't owe me respect because I stand on a stage or have a Bible college degree. You don't owe me anything. I'm here to love you. That's it. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Oh, really? The 613 laws, and, and you think we can fulfill them all by just loving one another? And Paul says, I, that's what Jesus said. I mean, if you don't like it, take it up with him. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, any, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where did he get that? That sounds familiar. Yeah, from Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Any other commandment is summed up in this. That, that verse is in there for those of us who are worried that people are going to get away with stuff. If we try to simplify it all the way down to this, people are going to get away with bad things, you know? And I don't, I'm not good with that. And some of you are, some of us are justice people, and some people are grace people, and I'm kind of a justice person, and there's a part of me that pushes back against this and says, no, 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 it can't be that simple. Somebody's going to get away with something that they shouldn't get away with. And so Paul put this verse in here, and he says, don't, don't, why, are you, why are you worried about that? All of the laws are summed up in this one thing. If, if we do this, if you love one another, are you going to murder? No. If you love one another, are you going to steal? Are you going to cheat? Are you going to lie? Are you going to gossip? Are you going to commit adultery? No, because all of those laws are based on loving each other. If you love one another, you don't have to worry about anybody getting away with stuff. Let's just, let's just love each other. And love means, it doesn't mean having a warm, fuzzy feeling towards people, because sometimes you can't control that. Love means you act in the other person's best interest, no matter what, even if it costs you a little bit. You act in the best interest of the other person. Paul goes on in uh, chapter 14. He begins this conversation about eating or not eating and about worshiping on certain days or not. Then he says this, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Paraphrase, it is not about you. It is absolutely for you. It's for your forgiveness and for your hope and for your freedom, but it is not about you. And he kind of wraps up this conversation. 
In chapter 15, verses one and two, he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to, say this with me, please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build them up. This is not about you. We, we have kind of made faith, our American Christian subculture faith, into a very private thing, right? It's private. It's between me and God, and it's none of your business. And as long as my conscience is clear before God, you have nothing to say to me about how I express and live my faith. And to that, John, the Baptist, Jesus, and Paul would say, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. You're trying to make it this, this far away and separate thing. And he says, no, it's, it's actually near. And it, it's available to everyone. It's not just about you. You cannot express a full faith in Jesus privately between you and God. You can't. Because expressing your faith is done by loving each other. It's the only way. That's why you're here on a Sunday morning. And, and, and that's why maybe there are some people who are not here who would say, I, I worship on my own. I worship at home and I'm just fine. I've, I've made it a private thing. As long as I check off some boxes, I read my Bible and I pray and what else do you want from me? Jesus would say, love one another as I have loved you. And if there's not any one another's around you, how can you fulfill that command? That's why microchurch is so important to us. That's, that's why discipleship is so important to us. We want to get into smaller groups and smaller communities where we can look people in the eye and love them actively, on purpose. So here's, here's the question I would ask you. Is, is your current path leading you into the kingdom of heaven? This system doesn't work, so don't, don't, don't tell me how often you come to church or how much you pray. Or... The question is, are you loving one another. Is this a priority in your life? Is this what you're centered on? That you've entered the kingdom through the blood of Christ and, and your goal is to love people well every day. It's simpler and some, sometimes we, we look at this and go, that's it's too simple. You're oversimplifying. There's a lot more in the Bible besides love one another. I'm not the one who said it. Yes, it's simpler and it's absolutely harder. It's so much harder. It's, it's easy for me to go through the checklist and say, all right, attend church, check. Read my Bible, check. Gave some money, check. It's so much harder in every situation to say, what does love require of me? It's harder, but it's really simple. You only have to remember one rule. It's just a tough one. It's a tough one to actually obey because we have to lay ourselves down. We have to lay our crowns down. We have to give up our pursuit for control and power and authority and say, what, what's best for you is my priority. That law in your marriage will save it. That law with your kids will make them want to come home when, after they move out. Whatever is best for you is my priority. That's the law of love. Is your current path leading you into the kingdom? If not, you need to repent. You need to repent. Here's, here's just one small example. I had to repent from something recently. In our, in our family, when we sit down to dinner, uh, it's kind of a, a pretty uh, loose no-phone policy, right? No, no phones. We don't, we don't have them. We don't answer them. But I do sometimes. <laughs> because I kind of, I don't know. I've never said this out loud, but I kind of decided that um, my stuff is more important <laughs> I, I actually have important things that happen. You know, when people call me, you know, maybe they need something and, and I need to be available and I need to be there. And, 
And I, so I kind of made it about me. And, and sometimes I answer my phone at dinner. Is there anything wrong with me answering my phone? Is it a sin against God for me to answer my phone at dinner? There is no thou shalt not answer your phone at dinner in the Bible. I can have a clear conscience between me and God about checking my text messages during dinner. But is it loving to my family? Nope, it's not. It's telling them that what's happening on the other end of that phone is more important than they are, even though they're sitting right in front of me. It's not loving. So I, I'm repenting from that. It seems like such a small thing. You're like, Adam, that's not a big deal. It's not even a sin. You don't even have to confess that. But if it's not loving, then, then I'm not living out the law of Jesus. I'm not entering into the kingdom. I'm making it about me, and the kingdom of God is not about me. It's for me, but it's not about me. Is there something that you need to repent from? Is there a behavior in your life that you've just decided, hey, my conscience is clear before God. I can, I can do whatever I want. I have a friend who um, doesn't mind drinking a beer now and then. With dinner, glass of wine, doesn't bother him a bit. But he has a friend who's an alcoholic, and he will not drink alcohol around his friend. And actually, he's so, he's so serious about it that he, he, hardly, he hardly ever drinks alcohol in public because he thinks about his friend, and he thinks maybe there's somebody around here who's like my friend who's an alcoholic, and, and I just want to honor them. I just want to respect them and what they've been through and what they're going through, and so I'm just not going to drink around them. So he, he drinks two beers a year, <laughs> not, not because he thinks it's wrong to drink a beer, but because he's loving his brother. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. The kingdom of God's not a matter of eating and drinking. Does God care? It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the peace that you're chasing. That's the joy that you really want to wake up with every morning. And it's found by loving one another. And here's the cool thing. When we do this, it makes the gospel irresistible to people who see it. I think, I think the church has made the gospel very resistible because we've kind of set it up like this. Hey, there's some people who are in and there's some people who are out. And if you're out, too bad. Sorry for you. Hope, hope you can get in sometime. You know, let me know if you do. And Jesus, Jesus says, no, if you're living this out, he says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This is how all men will know that you are mine. This not how often you go to church or how much you give or whether you drink or smoke or whatever. This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. And when we get this right, people are drawn to Jesus like moths to flame. They can't stay away from him because they see in him peace and joy that they can't find any other way in their life. So it matters. It doesn't just matter for you because remember, the kingdom is for you, but it's not it's not about you. It doesn't just matter for you. It matters for all the people who are watching you. Do you know who's watching you every day? You probably don't. Do you know whose life could possibly change if you lived a life of love? You probably don't. You don't have any idea. But they're out there, and God knows. So we're called to fulfill the law of love. Love one another as I have loved you. And watch and see what God does. When we do this, when we get this right, if we as a church family got this right, would it, would it impact our community? Would, would Jesus suddenly look like something people are after rather than something they're trying to avoid? 
Let's get this right. Would you pray with me? God, we're challenged by this word. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. It, it makes me put my, my own preferences and desires and opinions aside, and I don't like that. But God, I look at what you did for me, and what, what more can I do than to offer that same love to others? I pray that you would shine a spotlight on the places in my life that I need to repent from, where I have made things about me and have forgotten to honor the people around me. Would you, would you show me what those are so I can repent from them and enter your kingdom? And God, would you, would you do that for every person in this room? And as we together begin to live out this command to love one another, would you use us to show other people what you can do for them through Christ? God, we pray that, that many, many people will come to Jesus through the love of the believers in this community. Would you do that among us? In Christ's name we pray.